Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Chef Dominic Lee from Pachin coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined this week by my frequent co-host. She is one half of the dynamic blogging duo that is Urban Swank. The swanky maven herself, Felice Sloan. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. I'm so excited. We have a lot of good food to talk about. We have a lot of good food to talk about. We have a lot of news to talk about. So let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Bobby Hugel and Justin Yu have finally revealed their plans for the former Southern Goods space on 19th Street in the Heights. The restaurant will be called Squabble with only one B. Uh, And it will be led by uh, two very exciting kind of up-and-coming chefs that have been on the periphery of like the the collective uh, Justin Yu universe, right? The... uh, I don't know what the Marvel Cinematic Universe of Justin Hughes. I don't know what the equivalent is, but that's kind of what it is. Uh, Mark Clayton, who worked for Justin at Oxheart for a long time and did some time with uh, Agricole Hospitality. And Drew Gimma, who came to Houston as the head baker at Common Bond and more recently has been the in the kitchen at Better Luck Tomorrow. Um, Felice, I'm just going to throw it out to you. What do you think? Squ- are you excited about Squabble? I'm at the restaurant already. I just got to tell you. So you're lined up. It's like the Mervin's commercial. You're right. pressing your open, face against the glass. Open, open, Okay. So um, I was there when I saw, you know, the, like we always talk about the, the union of the chefs, right? I love to see the bakery kind of baker kind of thing mixed with someone else that's a little bit more worldly and, about the um, savory, so I'm excited about that. Then, you know, I'm like, well, what are they going to serve? So that whole Euro with American influence and saw some samples of the dishes, I'm there. I am, I'm, I'm there. I'm tasting it. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I think they, they rattled off some, a few dishes, you know, a pasta, a pork dish, uh, a Dutch baby, all uh smoked gr- a smoke grouper yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh food that's kind of very much on trend but you know they're gonna put their spin on it obviously and it's an interesting evolution for justin and bobby you know bobby was one of the partners that helped chris shepherd open underbelly took a step back from the restaurant business when he and kevin floyd kind of divided up their shares bobby went back to just being a bar owner uh justin you know he's he's got Theodore Rex, obviously, and an interest in both public services and Better Luck Tomorrow. Uh, this is kind of Justin evolving into restaurateur. Yeah, I think it's good. And I think um, them coming together for this, right, where you're seeing the Justin and the Bobby. We, we'll talk about the cocktails after we gush over this a little bit, yeah, the yeah. cocktail program. But I think I, I'm excited because it is where you're watching him grow and evolve. Right. right. It worked very it's worked very well for Better Luck Tomorrow, uh, which wound up on a couple of different national lists for 
best new restaurant in America. Right. They reversed it, right? They went in it with the cocktail focus, and the food was always a focus. Other people, we knew that if you went early on, you could kind of see it, but it just wasn't uh, what people expected, right? Right. This yeah. time they're setting the bar a little higher by being explicit about it's a restaurant, it has these named chefs, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, we can move on to the cocktail program, which is obviously going to be a major focus too. Uh, Terry Williams, who's uh, was was once upon a time just uh, the manager at Anvil, now runs operations for Anvil and Better Luck Tomorrow. Will be the general manager. He's bringing with him Anna Wilkins, who's a, a bartender at Better Luck Tomorrow and has worked at both Julep and Eight Row Flinch. She's terrific, and they're going to keep things kind of simple. They're going to start with classics. Terry is very much obsessed with martinis, so they're going to do that. And then they'll work with Justin Van, who handles the wine list for Better Luck Tomorrow on a wine list. And it's interesting. They said they're going to have some natural wine because you can't open a restaurant in Houston in 2019 without at least acknowledging that trend. But they want to do some classics. They're going to have, like, dare I say it, wines you've heard of. Dare you say it. Well, you know what? I'm all over the old, the new, um, something borrowed, something blue. I'm just with all that stank. They're putting their stank on it. I'm ready for it. Yeah. Spring. It feels like it's spring now. So they really could open like now. Yeah. I <laughs> I had the good fortune of running into Bobby like a couple of days before the news broke. And, you know, he has basically lived at the Houston permitting office to like push this through. He's He's posted about this on Facebook, right? If someone says, if someone rejects something that they submit, he like, he makes them explain it to him. And if they can't explain it to him, he goes to their boss and makes their boss be like, you know, either either give me a specific reason or sign off on it. So he's basically lived there and pushed this through. And so they have, I think they have most of what they need in hand. And we could see squabble in, you know, six weeks, two months, something like that. Like it won't be, we're not that far away from it. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait. All right. Topic number two, La Macro, the... Very popular taco truck known for their tacos de Trumpo. Has a new home uh, for the last couple of years. It's been parked at the Raven Tower, but the owner, Saul Obergon, has found a new home in the former Mam's House of Ice Space on Cavalcade. Um, I am a LaMacro fan. I don't know. Have you? I have. I've had. I've. Yeah, I am. Yeah, this is a good deal. <laughs> I am. It's it is good, and I think it's it's a good look. It really is a good look for them. Yeah, I I love that he's going to keep doing the snow cones, and he's going to add a lotus. He said that's something that a lot of people have been asking him for. Mm, okay. uh, Ooh, and yum. you know the Mams, like the when Mams first opened there, and then before that when they were like a little trailer on Twentieth Street, people would wait like an hour for those snow cones. And then the original founders left and someone else took it over and it wasn't as good. So he understands what the expectations are and he's working with a friend of his who knows a lot about snow cones. So hopefully we'll get the snow cones back up to where they used to be. I know the tacos are going to be delicious and having storage like more, you know, refrigeration capacity means that he can expand the menu. So I'm excited. Yeah, this is a good deal. This is a very good deal. I'm excited. And, you know, at a time when, you know, I, I call that the Heights and then I get pushback from people who say the Heights stops at North Main. 
we had that conversation. It's not the heights. I know, you know, I know everybody wants it to be the heights. It's I'm, not the heights. I'm calling it the heights anyway. It's heights adjacent. It's heights adjacent. But it's not the people that live over there would not appreciate that. No, it's, whole I don't conversation. think I think it's people who live in the heights don't like being associated with Oh, they, east of east of North. Oh, Maine. of course they don't. Yeah, of course. That's, again, that's a whole nother conversation. But be clear: the people that live over there don't appreciate all the bougie trying to claim that either. So let's just be clear: it's equal. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and it will be BYOB. So you know, if you wanted to go, I don't know, maybe get like uh, you know Houston Cider Company, Town and City Brewing's right there. You know, you could pick up a growler of something. You could. Uh, I, I mean, you have options. Yeah. And then another thing that I like about it, um, we I think we talked about this personally. I'm all about more tacos in Houston, right? And like I said, they've been in Houston, but some folks are anti-food truck, you know, that whole thing. So I think that this is just a really good thing for them. It expands them, expands um, and opens them up for new customers, a lot more customers. Absolutely. And I, you know, I'm, I am pro new tacos. I am pro, uh, traditional tacos, right? Like I, I don't need another place that shows chicken tenders into a mushy flour tortilla and tops it with queso. No, no. I don't need that. I, I will always say yes to like really well-crafted, authentic, traditional Mexican tacos, especially, uh, La Macro's Trumpo. Right. Trumpo. Easy for me to say. I agree. All right. Topic number three, news from Perry's Steakhouse. We've all been deeply focused on their newly opened location in River Oaks. To go along with that, they have made a major chef hire. Las Vegas celebrity chef, Las Vegas <laughs> celebrity chef Rick Moonen is the company's new master development chef. Um, this is a huge surprise, at least from my perspective. Rick Moonen is like a legit big deal. He competed on two seasons of Top Chef Masters. He was on Oprah. He is known as the king of sustainable seafood. He had two restaurants in Las Vegas that closed last year. And at the time, he told media in Vegas that he was going to open another restaurant in it off the strip. Obviously, that's not happening. He is a full-time Perry's employee who will be traveling among their 15 locations. And right now, from my understanding, based on what I was told, you will find him at that River Oaks location on a pretty regular basis. That's good. I I look at a couple ways. You just said he had two successful, not so successful at a point where he closed both the restaurants. So he gets to play with someone else's coin, right? He gets to make uh, fat bank. And make Mary's. fat bank and have someone else's coin to take their program to the next level. He gets to travel and you know, when he gets ready to do the, his thing again, it's, you know what I'm saying? He's had a chance to try it out, to do, to see, hey, what didn't work or what are people looking for at this price point? And he has an established um, customer base. So I think it's a smart move business-wise um, for Perry's Ching Ching score. That location, we've already gushed over that. So We haven't actually talked about that location. Well, we gushed over it personally. We did. At over drinks at the location. <laughs> it's very pretty. It's gorgeous. But but you've, if you've never thought of Perry's as like a culinarily ambitious steakhouse, right? Like I don't, if, if we were ranking the city's best steakhouses, I don't think Perry's is in the top five. Correct. But Rick Moonen's on the scene. Like 
I'm in. Like, right. give me the seafood dishes created by Rick Moonen. Like, let me, right. Well, let let's me see get what in does, on that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This will get me. This is like a, you know, for, for food obsessed people, for people who understand his reputation and his role in the world, like this is a, this is a big deal. And this should get people to kind of give Perry's a fresh look. I agree. And especially that location, because I already said that's going to be my Perry's location just because of the downstairs location. The downstairs is beautiful, great location. So throw Rick there, seafood, as you're saying, home run. All right, and then topic number four, big beer news out of the state legislature. The Texas Craft Brewers Alliance and the Beer Alliance, oh, I'm sorry, the Texas Craft Brewers Guild and the Beer Alliance of Texas have come to terms on an agreement to support two pieces of legislation currently working their way through the Texas legislature, SB 312 and HB 672, that will, wait for it, allow people to buy beer to go from breweries. Now, it seems strange that this has never been allowed before, but it isn't. Like, you can go to St. Arnold and you can buy a beer to drink there, but you cannot buy a bottle of Divine Reserve and take it home with you. And Texas, apparently, is the only state in the country that does not allow this. And if you go to a Texas winery or a Texas distillery, you can buy bottles to go. It's a crazy... When I read it, I'm like, because I don't drink beer. So in my mind, you could just always do that. And people are like, yeah, no. I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Why? And this is overdue. It makes sense. It makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Right. And we have all these breweries where you're there. You want to buy the product. It's, it's keeping the money in local keeping it locally opposed to me going to a circle K once I leave there hoping they have the beer. Right. It and and I think what this sets up more than like I mean I wouldn't expect someone to walk into Eighth Wonders Brewery and take home a six pack of dome foam. Right. Right. You can get <laughs> right. that you can find that. What I do think will be potentially interesting is the is when breweries start taking advantage of this to craft like one off releases or limited production stuff stuff that maybe doesn't have as wide a commercial appeal or stuff that maybe previously had been draft only right? uh, that they can now sell knowing that they can sell it to their hardcore fans at the brewery and these people will buy it and then like spread the gospel by taking it out. And then cutting out the middleman, keeping, you know, getting the exclusive on their own product. Well, they're getting to do their release. Well, you know, they have to, any brewery that brews more than 10,000 barrels a year uh-huh. has to sell it through a distributor. So this but they was can done. Get the, they get the first release of it, though, where you're talking yes, about do. that. Yeah. I get to get that first pass of money and have the line wrapped around my corner. Yes. <laughs> and then my distributor gets it the next pass. Right. And right. and look, I mean, these breweries need the distributors. Right. And obviously the distributors need the breweries. Right. It's a complicated the three tier system is complicated. It has its its upsides and its downsides. I don't. I may have to bring someone on here to have that debate, like on the show. Okay, we're not going to have it right now. Right. <laughs> but in terms of like, this is just like it's such a common sense thing. Yeah. It's such a no brainer. Uh, I did, by the way, I did my part uh, to advocate for this. We we saw Representative Gene Wu at the uh, we did. rodeo best bites competition. <laughs> 
and I encouraged him to support this measure, and he he said that he has tentatively, he's tentatively in. Okay, like so that's him, good. You've yeah. done your part. Yeah, I'm doing. So I'm just, you know, I'm like, I know I'm not one of your constituents, so I can't, I can't vote for you. Uh, but I would really appreciate. I it. really appreciate it. So that's that's lobbying. You've done your good deed for the week. I did for the beer on behalf of the beer nerds. All right, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Felice, for our restaurants of the week, the first place I would like to talk about is 2840 at Duquesa. I know that's a real mouthful. It is a lunch-only spot near the Galleria, and they recently hired Chef Ross Coleman, formerly of Kitchen 713, to take over the kitchen, and he's leading, uh, he's leading both the restaurant and then they do a lot of banquets there, weddings and, and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he's heading that part too. Uh, I'm just going to say we had like a, we had a pretty good lunch at it, 2840. I would agree. It was not like I was surprised, right? But because, you know, Ross is there. But um, the space and his creativity, right? Like the. Well, right. So <laughs> I think there, there's like an interesting tension between the owner who wants like lighter, you know, avocado toast, fresh juices, salads, things that, you know, she's she's kind of a cool mom. She wants her cool mom friends to be able to like have a leisurely lunch there before they hit the carpool line. And then, you know, Ross, who was like, you know, big, bold flavors. Obviously, Kitchen 713 was known for their fried chicken and, and some of their heartier dishes. Mm-hmm. So... You know, can he find that balance? Right. And I, I would think that he did. Yeah. Right. Like I had a, a really uh, like a Mediterranean style lamb kebab, really like spiced, but not spicy. You know what I mean? Right. And then but like our, our friend Rachel had like a salmon salad that was really nice. Right. And then I had the I had the salmon with the skin on. um yeah. Yeah, fried green tomatoes, super fried. crispy skin. Amazing, right? So it's kind of, we all, we represent, to what you're saying, each one of our dishes, we didn't plan it like that, but it represented um, a marriage of what the owner wants and kind of what Ross does best. Yeah, and I think that points the way to how this restaurant is going to be successful, you know, appeal broadly, right? right. They have a burger, they have shrimp and grits, but then, you know, it's still his food. Right, they have this. They call it the goat tostada. Can we? I was going to say, can we talk about the goat tostada? Because it's not a tostada, right? It's it's an Ethiopian dish. It's an injera crisp with spicy goat wat on it. It's insane. It's delicious. Yeah, but you know, those were the kind of flavors that he and James Haywood were exploring right before Kitchen Seven One Three closed, and so that he can find an outlet for those interests even in the context of, you know, this more elevated, I don't know, bougie? Would you call it bougie? I would. Mm-hmm. I would call it elevated, a little ele- elevated bougie, right? Because yeah. it's, you know, for the moms, the carpool moms, it's a little elevated. Yeah. But for the bougie bougie, you get all that. You yeah, know? you get you get your chicken Caesar or whatever. You, you can do all that stuff. But you can also get like a little Ethiopian food at a time when, you know, African food, African cuisine is kind of breaking through in Houston. Yeah. Finally. 
And I would say I would also tell folks to we did a flatbread. We they have the menu flatbread yeah. that Rachel originally had ordered. And then we're like the guy's like, Oh, well, you know we have a flatbread of the day. And I would encourage folks to make sure you ask about the flatbread of the day and get it. Yeah, because in our case, <laughs> the flatbread of the day had uh, thin slices of New York strip on it with caramelized onions. onions. And it was like, cheesesteak is ribeye, not New York strip. But it was it was that beefy, cheesy, gooey, crispy deliciousness. Yeah. And it, I mean, it we just destroyed elevated. It. <laughs> it elevated. We're like, this is flatbread. It was it was something uh, something special. Right. So you're going back. I am going back. I'm I, definitely going back. I am also going back. I would say if you're looking for a quick lunch, though, yeah. and, and I don't know if it's because they we were talking and he was being really, like you're saying, really nice to us and letting us talk. So I would say if you were trying to get a quick lunch, just let your waiter know, hey, I'm. Yeah, I got I've got time. 45 minutes exactly. for this thing yeah. because we definitely had a two hour lunch. But I think that was because we were having us. such a good time. Yeah. And the waiter was uh, deferential to that. Which I always appreciate. Like, I don't do too. don't interrupt me. <laughs> I do too. That's the worst. Uh, but yeah, I think if you're if you're on if you're on more of a, a time crunch, like I'd be explicit about that up front. Right. Uh, and then we alluded to the new Perry's and River Oaks, but you and I both attended a media event, kind of a sneak peek. Yes. Um, this is a big step up for Perry's. It's their first location inside the Loop, only their second in the Houston city limits, counting the Memorial City location. It's two stories. It's, I mean, this is, this is, this is a, this is a big deal, you know, and it puts them right in the teeth of, you know, we can start rattling off the steakhouses that are within like a couple of miles. Uh, certainly B&B Butchers, certainly Georgia James, everything downtown, like Vic and Anthony's and Pappas Brothers, everything in the Galleria. I mean, this is sort of in between all of that. Yeah. So. And it has a different, so you, I'm glad that you named all those. It has a whole different kind of vibe, right? When you walk in, it's it's if Steak 48 was light and airy. When you think about how sexy that downstairs area is. Right. If, if Steak it was, 48, right, it has that bar forward quality because the whole downstairs is bar. Right. With the, you know, you have that um, window where when the weather's good and the sun's coming in or it's just really bright and it makes you not think of being at a steakhouse it's just real light and kind of fun yeah and it's got that big uh u-shaped bar obviously going to be a focal point of the restaurant obviously going to be the cnb scene spot in river oaks for a little while i definitely. feel definitely i think so too yeah and you know we we saw uh marcy de luna from the chronicle she's very in touch with that whole world like this is the place people are going to be hanging out at she's like yeah at least until mad opens Right. So I don't know when that I don't know when that's happening, but uh, for right now, this definitely feels like the the CNBC spot in River Oaks. Right. And if they can capture that, and you know, talking about the great chef and get people on board, that's where people will stay. Right. Because the music was kind of good. It was like a little music playing. I'm. I would come, and I I told you, I would come here have a drink. I don't need to get a table. I would have my dinner right here because there's definitely enough space. Um, so, yeah, I think they've done a really good job of um, getting a new market. Yeah, they have a whole menu of bar bites and cocktails and stuff. I mean, I thought it's hard to tell. 
because they were making a bunch of cocktails at a time and you know portioning them out in smaller mm-hmm. portions. Uh, they all registered as a little bit sweet to me. I agree. And the bar bites, it was a little, again, it was a little bit hard to tell. Uh, but certainly that's been a popular offering for them. So I feel like just because we didn't get a great version of it at the at the media, like we didn't get a great version of it, but we also weren't paying for it. So it's right, hard we to were getting about the it too much. small version. Yeah. yeah, we were getting smaller bites. And as you're saying, they were making the, co- yeah, I, I've had some of those cocktails at the restaurant and I'm like, it was not nearly this sweet. So, yeah. So I think, I think they're going to do just fine. And then. Do you want to talk about Best Bites? Do we have? You know, let's just, you know, give a little love to Best Bites. One of our favorite pre-rodeo events. Yeah, there is nothing. There isn't a single food event in Houston like the Rodeo's Best Bites because there are 118 participating restaurants and 5,000 people attend and there's like 500 different wines available. (laughs) Right. So it's just this like overwhelming sense of abundance. It feels like. Almost every restaurant in town you care about is there, or the chefs are just there hanging out as attendees. Exactly. It's a big party. Yeah. It's a big food wine fest, and even the chefs that participate, everyone's just having a good time, enjoying the food, enjoying the wine, kind of catching up. It's one of my favorite events of the year. All right. So I have the full list of winners on Culture Map. Uh, Grazia in Pearland took People's Choice. I think Weesey's Table took The Entree. Uh, you know, but the, I will say the best thing that I ate wasn't one of the winners. It was the, uh, it was a savory ice cream. It was burrata and truffle ice cream. That was a collaboration between roost and sweet bribery. And it just, I, I've gotten into like savory ice creams courtesy mm-hmm. of like Dolce Nev and, and some of these other places that make them. And it had a lot of like really good truffle flavor. And I just, I mean, I ate one and I was full and I was like, I, I could eat like three more of these. Got it. You didn't try it. Well, when we walked by there, they were, it looks like they were out. Cause oh. I was like, what do they have? Right. All I saw was, I saw the cones lined up and I'm like, okay, they had something. So either they ran out or they were going to get some more, but there was no ice cream. It wasn't, at, it wasn't. Something that was at my table. Right. It, that didn't come to my table. Like the quality of the stuff that came to my table was like very hit or miss. We got the Killens barbecue pork belly bites. That was the best thing we got. And the, the whole, the, the four other judges at the table are like, this is so good. What is this? I was like, just rate it on your ballot. Then I'll tell you where <laughs> it's from. Tell you it's from. Right, right, right. But, uh, uh, but you know, the judging, the judging's always fun. It's always fun to see the other media folks. I don't know. What was your favorite bite of the night? One of my, and it's so funny because it wasn't, didn't come to my table. It was, and I hate, I always talk about it. People don't think I have stock in Eunice, but it was Eunice's etouffee. It was so good. Yeah, I got that after the judging. <laughs> after the judging. Too. And I was thinking, oh, okay, it's etouffee. You know, I've had it before. But then he did like this blue crab in it. And so people were walking, what is that? I'm like, go get it. And they would come back like, oh my God, it's so good. It was, you know, and it wasn't like a bite. Because he was like, you know, I don't, first year doing it, I put together something. And it was, that was one of my favorite bites, that. And I don't know who did it. Came to my table 
it was so hot though. I know most people didn't appreciate it because it was um, like spicy hot. It was yes. Um, it was a pepper. It was a jalapeno pepper stuffed, um, and it was wrapped with some bacon. But it had like some bacon and stuff in it, and it was kind of cold when we got it. So it was hot thin. I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna burn people's mouths. So you know, most people can't do hot like that. I can. Right. Um. So I love that. I'm like they. They just, they're going there. They don't care if you like spicy or not. They're going for the bite. So it was fun. Well, and I I do think there are some restaurants that are like, we're going to win the judges over. And then there are some restaurants that are like, we're going to try to win people's choice. Yeah. And there are some restaurants that are just like, we're just happy to be here. We're just going to brand it out, have a good time. (laughs) So you get that mix. I mean, any restaurant that served like a fried ball, like a crab cake or like a... That, that ain't going to work with the judges because by the time, no matter what you do, by the time it gets to us, it's cold. It's cold. It and was it's a lot, hard yeah. to, it's just, it doesn't taste right. So, so let me give a special shout out though. All right. So as I'm walking, everyone's like, oh my God, did you have that fried chicken? The line is wrapped because, you know, Ronnie's line, Killen's line is always wrapped. And I'm like, who's doing fried chicken? I don't know. So we're walking, following the smell of the fried chicken because they're literally dropping it. And serving it, of course, it was Gus's. The fried yeah. chicken was insane. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, no, full credit to Gus's for doing fresh to order fried chicken right. for five thousand people. Oh yeah, it was. It was. I I can't believe it didn't win any of the People's Choice, uh, People's Choice Awards because they had they far and away had the longest. Time. So, all right, Felice. Before you get out of here, tell us what's going on at Urban Swank. Well, let's see what's going on with Urban Swank. We're getting ready. We're doing a giveaway. For Chef Fest VIP tickets. So hit us on Instagram so you can register for that. All right. Very good. And I will be right back with Dominic Lee. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Dominic Lee, the executive chef of Puccine, the eclectic restaurant in Sawyer Yards. Dominic, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Eric. Beautiful day outside. No complaints. Beautiful day. I'm coming off the emotional high of having just met Thomas Keller and Daniel Ballou. Who offered you some brie. Who offered me brie. (laughs) And Thomas Keller offered me caviar and hamachi crudo. Not that anyone cares. I just kind of feel like bragging a little bit. I mean, I would be bragging too. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So... You and Ian Tucker, the owner of Puccine, came on this show about a year ago, really before Puccine opened. It's crazy. It's been a year. To kind of talk about your plans for the restaurant. I mean, safe to say that the first year of the restaurant has not gone how you expected? Yeah, I would say that it has been a a very big evolution of the restaurant in general. So I was rereading the opening press releases uh, before but before Puccine, like before it opened. Yeah. You know, eclectic menu inspired by Asian and Mexican and American cuisine, European touches, uh, lunch and dinner, five days a week, brunch on the weekends. I think at one point Ian even talked about being open for breakfast. Yeah, I mean, when you think of just the initial press release to where we are now, 
I find that it was just a very like a very big focus on what it is that the people wanted and what it is that we were doing to make it you know more toward geared towards the customer wants yeah i think so that's that's why i was so excited to have you on the show today because i do think there's that there's that gap between you know the the old the old line um uh, maybe i'm stealing it from judaism maybe i'm stealing it from someone else man plans god laughs <laughs> right you think you have an idea of what the restaurant is going to be and then pretty quickly your customers tell you what you what they want from you and you have to adapt yeah i mean and ultimately that's what we should always do in the in this business because the customer is always right you know what i mean <laughs> well i mean they're 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 right with their dollars right if yeah. nothing else if they're not spending money with you then it's it's not it's not working so so and, go ahead i'm sorry i was just going to say and normally i i mean we find ourselves like as chefs like being artists and we want to like do what we think is is best or what the customer wants and then we learn what they want and then we adapt to that right so let's start with the positives what what has kind of worked like from the beginning what do you feel best about accomplishing in the first year i would say really our bar program is amazing it's consistently been steady i believe that sarah cuneo has ran the bar program you know magnificently and consistently made just amazing drinks i believe that for myself you know and not trying to like be over the top but just say that like you know just learning what it is that the customer wants and making really really good food and you know the customers coming and enjoying it very important and done well and also uh, just adapting to the event space itself and being able to supply like really, really interesting events that people are like that insights, like wonder. You yeah. Know? Cause I think it's such a big space. It's, it's a lot bigger, like outside of a steakhouse, like it's a lot bigger than most other Houston restaurants. Yes. Was sort of learning how to utilize it effectively. One of the biggest challenges. I would say that being able to fill it is definitely a challenge and learning how to like use each space appropriately is definitely something that we had to learn to do. Yeah. Cause I, I mean the early feedback, even from, from friends of mine that would go say the food was great and we love the drinks, but it feels empty. Yeah. Because people will walk in there like, wow, this is so big, you know? And then what we did was in the adaptation is build the that glass partition you remember the last time you were there and it has that like separation of the main dining room from the bar and it just now you'll see people gather in the bar area and then people gather in the main dining room area and it makes it feel like more full and that's just part of that adaptation right i think learning how to kind of group people and and also, I mean, to take advantage of that patio. I mean, you you guys have truly one of the best views of the skyline of anywhere in the city. Yeah, I'm excited for the summer and Fourth of July. Like, I definitely getting ready for that. Yeah. Like, starting now. Uh, I think the other thing you guys have been able to do is kind of leverage some like events. Like, you just had a Lunar New Year celebration, for example. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We had the lion dance, so they came out with the the twelve lions, and we did the 
you know, Vietnamese, like, southern style mix where we had, like, these different dishes that were inspired, you know, from the Vietnamese table of, you know, what they would eat during a Lunar New Year and teamed up with Koi Barbecue. And it was just... Once those once those lines came in, I mean, the whole restaurant was just like, you know, like going crazy and we're like giving everybody the dollar to feed the lion and people are thinking they're losing their hands and stuff. It was so much fun. It was a, it was a really good time. Yeah. And and I also want to talk about kind of how the cuisine has evolved because it started like, I mean, it seemed like for a moment you were going to be known for lamb neck, pulled lamb neck hummus. Yeah. Uh, and that's not on the menu anymore. Yeah. That was a hard one to pull away. How did you decide to go in a, I'm going to say a more Southern direction that's maybe more in keeping with, with your roots uh, growing up in New Orleans? So when we had dishes, and I, the best one that I always use to explain the change is we have pork belly that is seasoned with five spice grits and adobo, which is like this Filipino sauce. Um, and so that dish was one that just sold heavily and it was a Southern inspired dish with, you know, these international like feels and injections into it. And when, when I realized that that was working a lot better and people gravitated towards dishes like this, I decided that, you know, I'm want to make Southern food ultimately like as an ultimate goal. And I believe that whenever chefs focus in on, the plate the the palate that they come from that they make the best food because it's just what you've grown up on it's the food that you resonate with the best and so i was like man like if we do this and we give ourselves this identity then people know who we are instead of people always saying like oh yeah like pachin they make you know world food like different food you know that was just a constant thing that was driving us nuts yeah i think it's really hard to brand world food like like there's a few chefs in town who whatever they're serving like people will go eat it but i think for the most part like you need you need like specific things that people like know that they can go and come back again and have yeah and one word and in one word explained yeah right yeah something right food that they understand food that they crave and something that they can come back and get again and again exactly so what else is on the menu now? What are you what are you excited about? So absolute one of my most favorite dishes has to be the collard green risotto. It's just really fun to me because it's made from the risotto is built from the broth of collard collard green stock and then served with really, really amazing collard greens that are cooked from Benton's bacon and pulled pork. And I just like I just like the comfort of the dish. When you eat it, it makes you want to sit back and like rub your stomach like man that feels good nice and southern comfort style of course i mentioned the pork belly being one of my favorite dishes and kind of like the reasoning for the menu change is a dish that sold so well for it to be you know a a i guess like a guideline into what it is that we do now and then i would say the next favorite would be one of the dishes that was put up from one of my kitchen staff, which is a venison dish. So essentially it's like venison brined in juniper and then served. It's the Denver leg, which is basically like the upper part of the, the venison leg and served with a potato salad. But that is basically like a Peruvian potato salad. So it's made with like Juan Caina, which is a sauce that's made from a yellow ahi amarillo pepper 
and and it's just like potato salad and venison, but not traditional potato salad and venison as we think it. And I like that feel on that, you know. So so how do you have that conversation with the owner and and the general manager and and all of those people? You're like, hey. I want to be a Southern. I want to be a, like, I know you had this idea about what kind of restaurant we were going to be, but I want to be a Southern restaurant. It's kind of like the people, the people asking for this, are we going to give it to them? And it, and it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to do that for sure. But you know, it's not, it it's, it's about like taking creativity and what the people want and combining them to like make a great place in an environment that people are sure and comfortable with, you know? Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is there's been some personnel changes. Um, I don't necessarily want to dwell on, like, who's not there anymore. Yeah. But I do kind of want to hear, like, what you're... I mean, obviously, it's you and Sarah, and now Chris Fleischman is on board. Yeah, great so, addition. So, so yeah, so kind of where are you as a staff, and, and how do you feel about kind of where you're at? So when I when I think about the staff changes, I think about just even, like, you know, conversations with other industry people about how our restaurant, our restaurant vibe in Houston is so just expansively growing. And then people are always going in and, you know, there are new opportunities available and people want to do their own thing and basically just want to like, you know, go and try new things elsewhere. And I mean, that's just pretty much the, the vibe that I get from those changes is people wanting to grow and do other things. And which I understand because I wouldn't be at Pachin if I didn't want to grow and do something new. Right. Cause Karen would have, I mean, Karen would have kept you around, you know, making uh chicken tandoori and non for as long as you wanted that job. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I, I still have the non burns here and I love that lady, you know, I'm excited to go to the urban harvest uh, Sunday supper there coming up in April. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, I've known Chris now across several restaurants. Uh, I don't know. Would it embarrass him if I started rattling them off? Because if it would, I'm going to. Probably. Okay. So then, so I think I met him at, uh, I met him at PAX. Yeah. And then, or no, maybe I met him at maybe I met him at Lilo and Ella, Kevin Kevin Nadari's restaurant. Okay. And then I think he went to PAX, and then he was at the Hotel Zaza. Uh, and he may have done a stint in the wine business anyway. And now he's in at Riel. Yeah, oh, that's right. Oh yeah. Riel. He opened Riel. We yeah. Might, we might as well just go all the way. Yeah. I forgot <laughs> about, I forgot about Riel and I just had Ryan Lachane on, uh, and then back and then back to the Zaza and then now with you guys. And, and I don't, I don't say that to try to embarrass anyone. I think finding the right, finding the right fit or, or wanting to be in, in an opportunity for a little while and then jump in to do something else is, is, is totally healthy. But he brings a lot of experience, and even though he's like a young guy, he's like quietly old school. And so you know you can you can do something like roll out a whole fried chicken for the table and know that he's gonna like bust out the cart and the knife and and carve that thing. And, and, and it's a, and it's appreciated. You know, having someone like that around who you know is like who is brought in from the old school but still a young guy and has like tons of experience but is levelly patient you know and understanding and thoughtful of the guest 
is just so important. And then to have built relationships and be respected in the business at a young age is also important. And I think that he does that extremely well. I mean, I'm very, I'm very appreciative to have him around, you know, and to have him on board and doing the work that he does, you know? Yeah. And then you opened with like a very explicitly kind of avant-garde natural wine list. Yeah. Is that still the case or have you broadened it a little bit? So it's, I, I would say that anyone, if I if I was there and then someone took my job one day, and I would say that eventually whenever someone takes over something, they also, like, fabricate it as their own, you know? Right. And so, like, Chris, I would say, because I, I, I would be speaking out of turn if I said that I know that what he's done with the wine list because I'm not completely, like, you know— You've got enough to work. Yeah, my thought process is completely on the wine list. But I would say that he has owned it, you know, and begun to, like, you know, fabricate it as, you know, a list that is representative of himself, you know. So we just had a a wine event with with a gentleman. And I, I feel so bad now because I can't, like, rattle off the name of the guy. But, you know, Chris did a wine tasting with him and it was a really good time. And he did it like a happy hour. Like, it wasn't like the traditional sit-down wine dinner, but it was more like a get-to-know-the-winemaker, have some wine and some light bites, and, like, have a good time. Yeah, and that probably works better in your space anyway, right? Because it leverages the the bar, which is probably your strength at this point. Yeah, uh, and I would say that, like, the overall space, everybody is kind of hitting on good cylinders. I mean, the bar is amazing. Like, you know, Chris is doing a great job with the wine program, and I would hope that I'm doing a really good job with the food. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've you've actually, I mean, at least judging by kind of the, the media reviews, you've got some love for the food. You ought to feel pretty good about it. Yeah, definitely. And I just, also, I just want to grow and just do better. You know, I just want the the overall populace of Houston to like, you know, regard me as someone who is, you know, that cares about them and enjoys cooking really good food for them. I mean, so you came into this like never having run your own restaurant before. Well, I wouldn't say never having run a restaurant because it was not my own. But of course, like being in charge of Kieran's Kitchen involves a, you know, being in charge of ordering a full catering like setup, also to goes also dining like you know full dining so you're like in charge of all of this stuff at once so i mean and i did that from the beginning of building it because i worked with her in the building process of the restaurant six months before it ever opened so you learn a lot and you prepare yourself for this kind of thing so was there one specific aspect of the job that you weren't prepared for whether it was hiring or or having to be like i mean you as a personality have evolved incredibly from the first time I met you when, when Kieran's opened in the new location to, to seeing you like pop up on other people's Instagram now. Yeah. I would say administration. Yeah. Um, Kieran was very like a, she was very on top of administration. So you don't realize the facts of how you're dealing with the psychology of people the you know people's like pay and like I, I could always hire people when I was there and you know like bring people in but she would always negotiate 
you know, like their hours or their pay, like or those kind of problems. Sure. You know, like I pre- I maybe like had to fire like one person or like two or three people at Karen's, you know, and, but she would always be there to like handle certain like issues, you know, as to where like now you have this thing where like everyone calls you. Like you like even when you think you're off, you're not really off because you're going to get a phone call. You would basically have to be like out in the middle of the ocean with no cell phone service. Or do not disturb hardcore and like live up to the do not disturb on your phone. Right. <laughs> it's the only way. It's the absolute only way. But it, but it was it was good though because now I understand, you know, and the same thing with in in, in administration also the numbers of, you know, I understood food costs always, under always understood labor costs, but like how to focus in on them as well as do a great job making food. So as you kind of head into the end of the first year and look forward to year two, what are some of the things you're looking forward to doing now that you've kind of got your feet under you and you, you have a better handle on what this restaurant is and, and what it isn't? Um, I would say going into the second year to make it into, since now we know who we are and how we're doing things to make it a fine tune machine. So it runs perfectly. And then I can build another place <laughs> the way I want to build it you uh, know. with Ian. Yeah, of course. Do you know, I mean, do you know what you want to do? Yeah, I have an idea. I mean, I, like I told you, I want to make Southern food, but I just want to make like, I want to do a New Orleans style building. Like, you know, in New Orleans, they build places in house like Commander's Palace. Mm-hmm. So I want to do a New Orleans style thing. But when you walk in, it's a modern vibe, like with like with low ceilings and stuff like that. And it's just like still like you have this New Orleans vibe, but you're getting like this new age Southern food. That's, of course, like without us saying like farmed farm food and stuff like that. But that has this like this different you know like more homely vibe and it's just like still like more laid back and it has to have an open like wood fire grill and it's not nine thousand square feet and it's not nine thousand square feet if i can do the nine thousand square feet though then four thousand is like (laughs) it's like a breeze right yeah so that's a that's like what I hope for and like you know because ultimately I still like to design restaurants. Like I like to one of the most, the traits that I have is being able to design and build them. And so like and growing up in New Orleans my dad, you know, build builds houses. That's just like something in me that I just want to be able to build it and design it the way I want with the architect, you know. And I think that would be really fun. So uh and then uh, I feel like I, I won't be like, we'll both get yelled at by your publicist. If I don't ask you about kind of your new Sunday program, you've got brunch and now a roast. And so just kind of talk me through, like <laughs> talk me through what you're doing on Sunday. So Sunday is basically now we've done, essentially we have a Sunday once a month. This one's coming up where we theme it and make it kind of like a party atmosphere where like this Sunday will be the breakfast club and then the next Sunday will be like a Havana theme. And I just make like a special menu of like four items for each one of those Sundays. The Sunday roast is a pre-order item that initially started in Ireland 
and at the exchequer where you like it got so big that people would order weeks in advance and you come in and you get an entire roast for like four people and a bottle of wine for a hundred bucks and you can get like a pork roast a chicken or a beef roast and you would carve it yourself at the table and it would come with sides we do like you know whatever sides that we come up with that for that sunday and then also give some of our house sourdough which is really cool more so and even for me like the sundays are really cool i'm really more excited nowadays about the events that we've been doing like lunar new year or like our saint patrick's day one which i think will be really fun because we're going to do not like Lucky's Pub style St. Patrick's Day, but no green beer. Yeah, but more so like a St. Patrick's Day dinner that's like culturally Irish since the name of the restaurant is Puccine. And your owner is Irish. Exactly. So we're going to do like an Irish family style dinner with like, you know, Irish like drinks and stuff like that, which I think is just like more of our vibe than green beer. You yeah, know? don't do green beer. No, no. And I think that that'll be really cool because. We're still exploring that, like, still being able to reach into that um, initial, like, world cuisine style thing, but still twisting it up, you know, and still celebrating those cultures, but, you know, just still having that baseline, you know, of who we are in general. You know, I think that that's really fun. Yeah. Well, thank you, because I I was a little bit nervous that this was going to be a difficult conversation but it, but you made this uh surprisingly pleasant oh no, it definitely and also thank you for a tastemaker nomination yeah uh rising star chef of the year yeah so that that'll be really fun i'm gonna come come out there and load y'all up with some bites yeah march 20 march 27th and and for you very conveniently located at silver street Studios. so yeah if you run out of anything you can just send a busboy like running down the street to get more of it yeah, definitely. And it'll be a good time. I, I came to the last one right before we opened, and it was really, really fun. I had a great time. Yeah, and Bun B is back as the host for the evening. So <laughs> Okay, so that, yeah, that's going to be it. So it's going to be a great time. Yeah, for sure. That'll be really, really fun. All right, well, I know you've done the lightning round before, but since it's been a while, I want to do it anyway. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely. All right, five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, ready. Dominic Millie, what is your favorite cookbook? Ooh, right now, uh, Pigs, Pickles, and Whiskey by John Currents from Mississippi. Nice. What is the most recent band you have seen in concert? The most recent band that I've seen in concert would be, man, it's been a long time. I would have to say, huh. I would say it, it would be Stephen Richard, who's a saxophone player at four, Cafe 4212, that they do jazz Mondays. I like jazz music. Nice. Uh, all right. Since I've, I probably, did I ask you about your, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a, a place with a drive through So the last time you asked me it was Sonic, but right now it's Chick-fil-A. All right. Because I went to Chick-fil-A twice yesterday on my off day. And I, it, I really like the sweet tea, and I found out that they have mac and cheese as a side. And it's very close to the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. I, I don't know that I would ever ask you who your favorite Houston sports figure is, but who's your all-time favorite saint? My Oh, Archie Manning. Yeah. I mean, I used to work at this country club when I was like 18 years old, and all of the Mannings go there to the country club. And Archie Manning, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, they all go there. And Archie Manning is just like the the saint 
same favorite, you know, for sure. And finally, what is your go-to pizza order? Go-to pizza order. It's going to have to be Italian sausage and mushrooms. And I really like the Domino's, like, pan, like, cast iron pan one because it's got the crispy crust. So good. <laughs> well, thank you. Give us the give us the website and the social media and all that for Pachin. Okay, definitely. So Pachin is www.pachinhouston.com. P-O-I-T-I-N. Pachin. Yeah. And then you have... Spelled like it sounds. And then the social media, I believe, is also Pachin Houston. And if I'm not sure about that, you can follow me at Chef Dom Lee, and I'll have all those things like listed on my Instagram. Yeah, and you're then, a good you're a good Instagram follow. Yeah, I've only stopped recently because Felice from Urban Swing told me that I needed to get a new iPhone. <laughs> she, she, we were at the Truffle Masters event, and she said, "Hey, you make money. You should buy a new phone." And I was like, "Okay, I'm not gonna do any more photos for a while." <laughs> don't let Fee, don't let Felice shame you out of taking photos. Yeah. I mean, I just bought a new iPhone, so I'm all about buying new iPhones. But, yeah. but you don't have to. Yeah, like, well, don't let her shame you. Yeah, my camera on this side is like broken, so now oh. I've just been doing like selfie photos with the food to kind of like get like good photos. It's not the same. <laughs> All right. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Uh, always appreciate your comments, questions. You can always email me, Eric, E-R-I-C, at culturemap.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.